Father, may that be our prayer today. We're ready. You've risen, you've risen from the dead. You've alive and blessed us today. May our prayer be even so come, Lord Jesus. We uh, thank you for your service. We thank you for what you do for us and how you care for us. Bless the word this morning in your name. Amen. 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 Grab a Bible. My dad's been singing that in church on Easter my whole life, and I, I just thought we, we just can't go on Easter without dad singing that. Let's just play Rise Again. Mm. What a story. Can you believe we get to gather and tell this story to each other? There's an empty tomb. You know what I'm talking about? Like tombs where you put dead people? It's empty. What a story. What a savior. What a joy it is to open up the scriptures with you. We've been walking through Luke for quite some time, actually years off and on, and, and here we get to Luke uh, chapter 24, the very last chapter where the very best thing happens. And I love the way this chapter starts, but on the first day of the week. This has been a very, I mean, even just preaching the last several Sundays, it's profound and it's wonderful. And as we look at what Jesus went through and as we look at the evil of the world that focused on Jesus, it's overwhelming to, to, to see the forces of evil pounding Jesus and the, the suffering and the anguish in him. Where would we be without that little conjunction, but... But the first day of the week, the first part of the day, all of that changed. And this is what's changed my life and yours as well. In fact, if this hasn't changed your life, I would invite today to be the day. How great would it be for you to get saved on Easter? That would be an amazing, amazing thing. Today's the day. I'm going to invite you in just a half hour or so, run to Jesus, and, and if you are in a place where you are stagnant in your faith, I would say run to Jesus. And if you are in a place where you don't have a lot of faith, you don't even know what we're talking about, then I would say just trust him, just run to Jesus. And you've, you just have this little inkling that maybe there's something to this. Man, drop everything and run to Jesus. Think about the powers that have been focused on the murder of Jesus of Nazareth. Powers have been stacked up against him. The, the full court press of the secular government of, of, of Rome, the full court press of the religious establishment of the nation of Israel, priests and the city council, the Sanhedrin in, co in cahoots with Rome. And not only that, but we were told in the garden the night of Jesus' arrest that this was the day, Friday was the day of the forces of spiritual darkness. This is your day, Jesus had said. But you don't get the last say. But on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, just after dawn, all of that was changed. The brutality, the violence of the last couple of days. It breaks my heart. Like, like I'm, I'm, you know, when, it, when I get to that, that passage about Jesus being mocked, it's almost like there's a profound, like I'm, I'm in awe. I get to preach that, but I hate it. Don't you hate watching Jesus get mocked? 
And don't you especially hate it because you go, mobs are still like that? And as we look at the mocking that Jesus put up with, we look at the violence, we look at the beatings. You know, on Good Friday, we had a sweet little Good Friday service here on, on Friday, and, and um, I, I intended to start with a clip, like cold, not an introduction, just have a clip of the arrest of Jesus. I was just, I, I watched several from several different like adaptations, several different movies. There's a thousand of them out there. And each one of them, I was like, there's going to be kids here. This is just too, it's either really goofy and cheesy and, you know, Shakespearean or whatever, or it's just so much blood. That's just what happens to a back when you hit it with a cat of nine tails. That's just what happens to a head when you cram a, 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 crown of thorns on top of it like like just the brutality so much that i was like even at a good friday service i don't feel without permission slips i don't think i could show this all of that brutality you know the brutality of crucifixion let's just watch a guy drown in his own juices over the course of a day all of that just terror but on the first day of the week, very early in the day, the real story got told. The nonstop conflict with the religious leaders, the power-hungry, politically-driven priests and scribes, the way-too-secular Sadducees, it all gets redefined on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. The facts hadn't changed. The beatings were still terrible and the betrayal is still horrible. Peter's still the denier. Judas is still the betrayer. All of that is true, but it was all redeemed. It all made sense. All of the, the, the evil that seemed senseless all of a sudden was given profound meaning. As soon as you see the empty tomb of Jesus. It wasn't only violence and injustice. Rather, this was the story of God become a man because he loved us so much that he took the brutality of evil and injustice in the world so that he could redeem it, that that might not be our future. I mean, it makes me just ask, like, what defines you? What defines me? What defines us? I don't know what your week has been like. I don't know what your life has been like, but I bet there's some pain there. I bet there's some injustice there. There might be, even be some violence there. And I wonder if you could say you have a couple of options. You are either defined by all of that stuff in your past or you are defined by the love and power of the empty tomb. What is it that defines us? Are we people just scattered by the evil of the world or do we look at the empty tomb of Jesus and go, that that love, that power, that invitation to follow that guy, that's what defines me. The empty tomb of Jesus can define you too. It can bring meaning to your life. You can have hope no matter what has happened before. You can have hope that Jesus' tomb is empty. Someday yours will be too. What a story. What defines you? You know, not only do I want to think about that beautiful little 
but the first part of the day, the first day of the week. Also, I want to think about what the, the women saw when they went to the tomb. What was the women's motivation as they went to the tomb that day? Their motivation was to mourn. I mean, they brought burial spices. They did not go to meet the risen Savior. Rather, they went just to honor His sacrifice, just to honor His death. They wanted to honor the price that He had paid. They did not expect to find an empty tomb. And I think it's important on Friday night, we, we, we talked about putting ourselves in the place of those women who just a few days ago had been at the foot of the cross and had, had done all they could. They had gone home to, uh, to make spices and ointment so that they could be part of the embalming process of, of their leader, of their savior, of the one who they had followed, their rabbi, their, their, their teacher. And so they had brought now these spices, these oils, these ointments, and they had brought them to the grave. They certainly did not expect to see Jesus alive. But what they saw was something totally shocking that tells us an awful lot about the true nature of the universe. First, they it, were told that they saw a stone that was rolled away. I'm sure you know about this stone. It was huge. It would have, you know, one of the things that I always remember is how good the Romans were at this stuff. We're talking about the Roman Empire. They knew how to seal a tomb. They knew how to murder somebody. They knew how to seal a tomb. So this huge rock would have been rolled in front of the entrance to the tomb, and they were especially concerned about grave robbing in Jesus' case. So it would have been given a big Roman seal to make sure nothing, nobody would mess with it. And, and it couldn't be moved. It was under heavy guard. This was an impossible obstacle. And I don't want to get too poetic about the, this very you know, historical event but maybe one of the first things we notice as we put, our play, put ourselves in the position of those women who went to see if they could somehow talk their way into the grave to put spices and embalming ointment on Jesus is we might look at that rolled away stone and say insurmountable obstacles for us are just not that big of a deal for God. God did not look at the situation and go, oh no, I hadn't thought of a stone now what are we going to do? There's a big rock. What are we going to do? Look, the empty tomb of Jesus is not a promise that all of our earthly problems will be solved. You don't become a Christian, and you know I've kind of heard that preached sort of often on my whole life, that Jesus will roll away the stones in your life too. And while that might be an overreach, we're going to have... In fact, I would, I would like to remind you that all of these people in this story lived very difficult lives after this. There was still difficulty ahead for them. It's not that every problem was solved, it's that the problem was solved. It's wrong to say that all of our struggles, like the stone, will be rolled away and God is going to roll away all our troubles. But it is also wrong to act like God has not solved the problem in all of human history and in your life and in mine. What is true is that the same God that rolled that stone away is at work in your life if you are following Him. That same God that rolled away the stone is at work in our world. That every problem is not solved yet. We don't see that the kingdom of God is in a now but not yet um, 
place. Jesus has come. The promises are fulfilled and we are waiting for that to bloom in eternity. But because of the empty tomb, you can endure the troubles of this world. Because of the empty tomb, there is hope despite the troubles of this world. Because of the empty tomb, we understand that while we are all headed for a grave, that we are also headed for a resurrection if we are in Him. Some of us on the worship team before were reflecting on the grief of Jesus in the garden and the, the brutality that Jesus went through to, to save us, to, to carry the burden of our sin. And, and as we were reflecting, it, it, it just, you know, part of the conversation was that even as Jesus looked at the burden of the cross and said, Father, if there's another way, still he was willing to go because Jesus knew that the cross was not the end. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus looked at the brutality of his very real death, and we have to say that's a very real thing, but Jesus knew that that was not the end of the story, but that resurrection was the end of the story. And if that's what defines you and me, then in Christ, we can endure. We can have hope. We can have joy. The other thing we find the women find as they get to the empty tomb and see the stone rolled away is that we find the powers of darkness overcome and unable to do what they claim to do. Can I tell you this? There is a whole world that is trying to entice us away from the Lord with, with, with evil and with temptation. And this has been true of idols since the beginning of time, they promise, they promise, they promise, they threaten, they threaten, they threaten, but they cannot come through with what they either promise or threaten. The plan was to shut Jesus up. He's got to go. Look at him telling people they need to repent and follow Yahweh fully. Look at him talking about the kingdom of God. He's going to mess with the economy. He keeps talking like that. The big idea was to maintain power. The idea was to stop a revolution. And the powers of spiritual darkness, along with the greed and hunger for power and hate in men's hearts, and all of the evil of all of that energy and all of that authority and all of that power, the courts, the palaces, the authorities both in heaven and on earth had focused their ability in an attempt to kill Jesus of Nazareth. And what we find is an empty tomb. Some grave clothes left by themselves. And some angels at the mouth of the tomb going, what did you expect? He told you he was going to suffer. He told you he was going to resurrect. He suffered. He resurrected. What we find, and this is important because it is not immediately obvious as in your you know, news app. It is not immediately obvious as you walk around the mall. It is not immediately obvious as we just take a look at our culture. But the empty tomb reminds us, tells us, proclaims loudly to us that the powers of darkness are conquered. That they cannot do what they promise to do. 
The powers of darkness still claim a lot of power in our time. There is the lure of temptation that would say, here's the way to satisfaction. Here's the way to happiness. There's also the threat of if you deny yourself, if you live for, for Christ, your life will be worse. That's the way idols always talk. But the body of Jesus is not there. Jesus is able to do way more than we could think or expect. I would even say it like this. As we feel the struggle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness in us, as we feel the struggle of light and dark and, and good and evil and all this stuff in our hearts, as we feel that, would you please rest in the knowledge and know that this is not a fair fight? That Jesus died the day he planned on dying. Jesus rose on the day he planned on raising. That Jesus had looked at Pilate and as Pilate had said, I have your life in my hands. And Jesus was like, you don't. Oh, I'm a good shepherd. Lay myself, lay my life down for the sheep and I'll pick it up again. This is not a fair fight in your life either. God is able to bring joy. God is able to bring peace. God is able to hold on to you, to save you, to continue to redeem you. No matter what the evils of the world would say, no matter what temptations, no matter what saber rattling the powers of darkness might have in your life. Third, let's not only look at what we find at the empty tomb of Jesus, but let's Think about how this makes a difference in our lives as we wake up and go, oh my gosh, the tomb is empty. You're going to wake up tomorrow and go, hey, the tomb is empty. What difference does all that make? Well, the empty tomb changes what we seek for and how we seek for it. One of the most profound things that the angel says to, um, to the women is, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And certainly, that is literally talking about Jesus. Jesus is alive, and it's foolish to seek him in a tomb. But there is more to the call to stop seeking for life among dead things than just the literal resurrection of Jesus. See, here's the thing graves are all the kingdom of sin and death can produce. That's the only option. What are you going to do? Be a billionaire? Well, you get about 80 or 100 years of that, and then you're a dead billionaire. What are you going to do? Be a star athlete? Well, you get about 15 years of that, and then you go to trade shows and sign your autograph for another 60 years. And then you're... A dead former superstar athlete. What are you going to do? Be completely romantically satisfied? Well, that's going to last a little while. And then you'll be a dead playboy. <laughs> Those are your options. No matter what the world tries to entice us with, no matter what the offer is, no matter what the threat is, the grave is all this world has to offer. Now, that's either completely depressing or we could go, why am I looking for life all around dead things? 
Why am I looking for satisfaction? Why am I looking for things to give me life? Why am I looking for hope and joy and and reason to live and meaning in my life among things that are so very temporary, that only lead to graves? Earthly power, lust, greed, They lead to the destruction of lives. They lead to the destruction of cultures. They lead to the destruction of families. And in the end, all you get is death. Poor man, rich man, talented man, pastor. You know, all of us. But on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, we see the empty tomb of Jesus. And we have to ask, okay, all of the, those that would tell me money is the answer, well, they're all going to a grave. And all of those that would tell me self-satisfaction is the answer, that's what gives me meaning. Well, they're all going to a grave. And all that would say, no, it's the achievement. It's like being a, a business tycoon or something. Like that's, that, that's what's the, the, the source of meaning. Well, that's all leading to a grave. Then we look at the empty tomb of Jesus. And if we're smart, we go, how do I follow that guy? Because whatever he is offering leads to empty graves. Idols always lie. They promise and they promise and they promise and they threaten and they threaten and they threaten, but they cannot deliver. When we look at the empty tomb of Jesus, we find defeated powers of evil and also we find the one who can actually give our lives meaning. Jesus is the way to life, to purpose. The best power in greed and lust could ever offer us is a few moments of pleasure on the way to a grave. Jesus offers us a road that empties our tomb too. So can I ask Are you honoring the work of Christ by seeking life, by seeking joy, by seeking peace, not in achievement and the accumulation of stuff and conquest or even in moral virtue, but rather in Christ and Christ alone. None of these other ways of living offer an empty tomb. Why not give up on all that? Just follow Jesus. Why not give up on pursuing your own greatness and just follow Jesus? Why not, why not give up on bitterness? Is there unforgiveness in your heart? People done some stuff? Is there a reason why? Why don't you give up on that? Follow Jesus to an empty tomb. You know, lastly, I'd I'd like to look at Peter's response and encourage you with this, that marveling, being in awe of Jesus takes running towards Jesus. So interesting. When Peter heard the testimony of these faithful women, he didn't believe the story. And he could have stayed there and not believed. In fact, apparently, most of the disciples did. 
John reminds us that John also ran to the tomb. In fact, John reminds us that he was a little younger and faster than Peter, so he got there first. I would have been third. Long way. <laughs> I'd, have been, I'd have been like, is there an Uber to the tomb? But apparently most of these people who first heard the story that we are marveling at today, they heard the story and they said, this is an idle tale. Lots of different translations. It's a fairy tale, one translation says. They just thought these ladies were so in love with Jesus that they went to the tomb and they had some ecstatic vision or they're just overwhelmed with grief, something, but they just need to stop saying stuff because dead people don't rise. But Peter had just this small, I wouldn't say Peter was like, like if Peter expected Jesus to raise from the dead, he'd have been there too. But he had just this small little, I wonder if even this is what Jesus is talking about when he says a mustard seed of faith. You might be sitting here today going, man, I used to have a lot of faith. I just don't anymore. I'm not a person of great faith anymore. Or you might be a person with a bunch of doubts. You might go, yeah, I wish that, that I had the kind of faith I see in, you know, in other people. Or, or you may be somebody who's like, I don't know anything about all this, but God is doing something in my heart. I just can't tell you what it is. I wonder if that little kernel, that little mustard seed of faith is all Peter has. He's just going to use that little bit of faith to run to the empty tomb of Jesus. That's the only way to experience anything. you got to see for yourself. There's a line in the Psalms that, that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's the thing. You're never going to see the empty tomb of Jesus sitting back grieving in the house. You're never going to experience the love, the joy, the peace that Jesus has to offer sitting there being critical, sitting there without pursuing him. You gotta get up. You gotta begin a life, a different life where you are pursuing Jesus. You're not going to experience love and joy and peace that Jesus offers while you are pursuing you. It's not until you get up and go, you said what? I don't even know if I believe that the tomb is empty, but I'm gonna run and find out. Man, if you're just sitting here with just a little bit of curiosity, just a little bit, if your heart just stirs just a little bit, would you just run to him? Taste and see. Find out for yourself. Don't believe me. Go to him directly. Peter's motivation is hard to describe. Is he curious? just has this little hint of maybe, this mustard seed of maybe. And Peter lacks understanding too. Let's be clear. If you ask Peter and his friends if the tomb was empty that morning, I'm not even sure what they would have said. They might have been like, well, I mean, we trust these ladies, but I've never seen an empty tomb. I don't know what he would have said. There are lots of missing pieces in Peter's faith at this point. But he has just this inkling of something. This little bit of a soft heart. This little bit of hope. Maybe even a little bit of desperation that sent him running. 
He didn't begin that run to the tomb that day with all his questions answered. And you know, there's plenty of evidence that he didn't have a full understanding. He didn't have all his questions answered even at the end of that day. But he did know that Jesus was alive. And maybe today all you can do is run to Jesus. You have questions that aren't going to get answered right now. And over time, they will. Peter grows. Peter learns. As you continue to pursue Jesus, you're going to mature. You're going to grow. And Christian maturity is an important thing. And discipling over a long period of time is important. And, and growing in knowledge is important. We don't want to have just, we don't, we don't want to always be running towards that tomb. But man, it has to start with awe. It has to start with marveling at the empty tomb of Jesus. So maybe you're filled with doubts and questions. Maybe you've been let down by people you've trusted. Maybe you've been really let down by people that call themselves Christians. I hear that happen sometimes. Maybe seeing yourself as a person of faith feels a long way off. You're like, I, I, just, I just can't see that. But maybe there's just a mustard seed worth, just an itty-bitty part of you that today no longer wants to stay where you are. And Christians, this is for you too. Maybe you're just stagnant, you're just stuck. Maybe there's just a part of you that goes, I just want to return. I just need to get up and run. I just need to change. I just need to go and experience the refreshing of my salvation. Is there any part of you that says, I no longer want to be bitter. I no longer want to be hard-hearted. I no longer want to be... Maybe sin is just racked in your life. And you go, I no longer want to be filled with guilt. I no longer want to be filled with shame. I no longer want to be filled with a lack of forgiveness towards my neighbor. Is there any part of you able to just take a step towards Jesus? You will find Him alive. You will find Him active. Taste and see. Run to Him. You will not find, as you run to Jesus, an evil judge who's looking to criticize every aspect of your life. Rather, you will find a loving Father ready to wrap you up and welcome you home. Just run to Him. Find the tomb empty. Find Jesus alive and your sins paid for and conquered. So when I say run, let me give you three rails to run on there. First of all, by run to Jesus, I mean repent. Just repent. We've talked about this a hundred times before, but repent just means turn around and go the other direction. To agree with Jesus about your sin and to go the other way. If it's sin, if it's hard-heartedness, if it's just stagnation, whatever it is, repent. Repent of pride. Tell him you're wrong. Experience the freedom in going, God, I'm wrong. Here's exactly how I'm wrong. Or at least well, here's what's on my mind now. I'll probably think of more stuff later. That's what it means to run to Jesus. To just go to him and go, I, I've got sin. And have him go, yeah, I know, I know. I died for that. Repent of striving. Repent of trying to be enough on your own. You aren't enough on your own, and that's okay. Jesus is more than enough. His grace is abundant, and you are loved. Just turn and run. Maybe some, one of my, one of my favorite like images in my head 
that is not biblical, but it's in my head all the time, is a child that is so like wants to get in the swimming pool so bad. It looks like so much fun. And this is day one without the floaties on. And dad is sitting there like this. And they're on the edge just like, do I have the courage to just jump? Man, you will find Jesus ready to catch you. You will find him alive and active and ready to forgive. Just get over yourself and jump. Just run to him. Just repent of yourself and turn to him. Hebrews 12 talks about, has this image of of running and says that we need to run casting away sin that entangles us and then also taking off the things that encumber us. And if there are things that are encumbering you, if there are things that, that are between you and Jesus today, and you're going to know what those are more than I am, if you, if you have idols in your life, if you are a believer and have been a believer for a long time, but man, just trying to find satisfaction in other things and concentrating too much on yourself and concentrating on your goodness and all of that, if that has gotten in the way, if there are things that are just encumbering you, and maybe you feel like you're moving towards Jesus, but so slowly... Man, would you just cast all that off? Just get rid of whatever's in the way and make Jesus the only thing you're pursuing. Maybe it means you have to make some changes. Maybe it means you have to look and go, man, if I'm going to pursue Jesus fully, if I'm really going to run to Him, I can't sneak Him into to little, it's going to be more than just an app for five minutes a week. It's going to have to be like, I cut out some time. I make my relationship with him the most important thing to me. Maybe there's some activity, some behavior, some friends maybe even, that you just go, man, this is encumbering. I can't run to Jesus and participate in this. Man, what is not worth? an empty tomb. Lastly, as you're running to Jesus, would you run honestly? Peter ran. He saw grave clothes lying around. And he didn't go home going, oh, now I understand completely. This is what Jesus was talking about. And this is what's going on. And I know exactly what to do now. Rather, it says he went home marveling. He just went home in awe. He just walked in. I even, you know, Lazarus, they had seen Lazarus come back from the dead. But Lazarus had returned to his old life. Lazarus died again. And do you remember the scene? I I even think this is one of the reasons we're told about the grave clothes. Do you remember the scene when Lazarus comes out of his tomb and he's ripping off the grave clothes? So his old body is still covered in the grave clothes and, and he comes out kind of staggering, still wrapped in the clothes of death. Peter walks in and just sees the grave clothes just lying there. He doesn't go, I get it. I know exactly what happened here. No, rather, he just goes home in awe of Jesus. Peter didn't walk home with all the answers full of knowledge. He just went home in awe. There's still lots of things for Peter to learn about the Christian life. Maybe that's true for you too. There's still lots of maturing that has to happen. 
But it doesn't, it doesn't happen that you get so legalistically good at being a Christian that eventually you're in awe of God. Rather, we start just in constant awe of the empty tomb, and this is how we grow. Running to Jesus means being honest about the things you don't understand. It means adding some practices that engender awe. We don't have to pretend to be in awe of Jesus. He really is awesome. He really is the creator. He really is God. So as we take up disciplines like prayer, like spending some time in the creation, thinking about the Creator. Man, we aren't there just to learn or just to change. Rather, we're there to be in awe of God. Would you run to Him? Guys, I mean, parfaits are great. And kids at an Easter egg hunt are pretty fun. But the grave is empty. And if you are in Christ, your grave will be empty too. Does that give you hope? Does it give you peace? So how can we stop running towards all of these things that just end up headed for a grave? And how can we instead spend our time, our energy, the focus, the place where we find meaning in our lives, running to the one who's conquered the grave? Which direction are you running? What are you running towards? What are you seeking? Are you seeking life among dead things? Whatever yesterday looked like, whatever you brought in today, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the tomb was empty. We're given a chance at new life. It's an outlandish, it's an outlandish claim. It's the claim that's at the very root of our beliefs that God so loved the world that if we believe that he would send his son and that we if we believed in him, we would not perish. That death is not what you and I are moving towards. Our physical bodies will expire, but we are not going to be in heaven going, how'd you die, man? Rather, it's life to life. So what are you spending your time pursuing? Whatever yesterday looked like, it is redeemed by the empty tomb of Jesus. So let that change your tomorrow. We're going to sing one more song. And I wonder if you would just take a quiet minute and you would assess in your own life, what is it you're pursuing? Where's your time go? What is your hope in? Do you have idols? Are there things that are encumbering you? How can you be like Peter with whatever faith, whatever level of understanding you have that your life is spent running, tasting and seeing that Jesus is alive and He is good? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for a chance to celebrate the resurrection with our church family. Lord, it is so good to be with these people the first day of the week, 
first part of the day so we can sing that you are alive. We can proclaim that you are alive. God, would you give us hope? Would you give us faith? Lord, would you teach us what it means to run in your direction? God, if there are those in the room now who would like to start following you, God, I pray that you would draw them, that they would just have that courage to let go of whatever pride is in the way and just jump towards you, to become a follower of yours, to, to you know, finalize their adoption into your family. And God, if there are Christians in the room that just need a refreshing rejuvenation of their faith, Lord, I pray that we would take seriously what needs to be pushed aside so we can run fully towards you. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.